<laughs> Clarice. Starling. We bought flesh. It puts the lotion on its skin. It does this whenever it's tough. Hey, what is she a great big fat person? We bought... Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Clarice. We fought a moth. It's not a butterfly. It's a moth. Mm-hmm. Works better for the uh, pun. It's like if you want to even call I'm it I'm just pun. like, oh, it was a moth. <laughs> it's not a butterfly. Mm-hmm. I feel so enlightened now. Made mm-hmm. this podcast with some fava beans and a nice chicante. Chianti. Am I doing it right? It's more like like sucking in through his teeth. Unbelievable. <sighs> just just so fucked up. Just mm-hmm. so like mm. disgusting and beautiful and kind of horny a little bit. So that's right. We're talking about Mac and Me this week. <laughs> Finally. So, Welcome. full disclosure. Oh, I guess full disclosure. This is we bought a mic pop culture podcast. And full disclosure, I am Drew, a pop cannibal cast. Cannibal no. the Hannibal. Hannibal the Cannibal cast. Pod silence of the cast. And I'm Drew. <laughs> and I'm Ernest. <laughs> and I am Hunter. So, secondary full disclosure. We talked about, because, uh, you know, doing my whole Oscar watch through. And uh, we just happened to a couple weeks ago just be like, where where are you at? Where are you at in the list? You want to just hop in there? Well, you've, you been, you've been breezing through these last couple decades. Yeah, shout out to the pandemic. Maybe COVID-19 not so bad. You were, you were in the um, 70s like well, two weeks we ago. We've established that Hunter has like six screens on at once. <laughs> He's not watching any of these. <laughs> No, well, so that has been a that is actually been slowing down my role a little bit is because I can't uh, I have to be fully paying attention to some of these movies um, and things. Unforgiven, more like unfor back of the attention span. Unlike, <laughs> oh, no, I almost did a Clint Eastwood reading, but it would have been racist. Um, anyways. Um, so we were talking about where I was in the, uh, Oscar watch through and we were just like, oh yeah, I'm about to hit Silence of the Lambs. Um, and we were like, all right, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. And then I rewatched Silence of the Lambs and this is a movie that I've always loved. always thought was a masterpiece, everything, um, that we will get into. And I put it on, uh, last week and I thought to myself, oh shit, I think this is my favorite movie of all time. And I am here to declare to you after watching this movie three times in the course of one week. Oh, wow. That this is the greatest, one of the greatest movies ever made. And is my favorite movie of all time. Jeez. I mean, we're going to have to unpack that. (laughs) Um, Can't really fault you for it, though. I saw it last night uh, on my big new TV. Thanks to Hunter. Uh, gifted me his old TV. I watched this on Criterion Blu-ray thanks to Hunter. Yeah, I. this is a very special episode of... Um, oh, no, this is felt. Yeah, what do you... <laughs> that does not make a noise. <laughs> oh, that was actually a crunchier piece of felt than I thought. You're going to have to um, disinfect that microphone. 
Ernie. That's absolutely disgusting. What he just did to it. That's the rag that I used to clean my guitar strings. So it's Mm. okay. Maybe that was what the crunch was. Uh, It tasted a lot like semen. (laughs) You mean like the semen that gets thrown at Clarice? Man, it's been like two minutes. (laughs) Come on, Migs. So... Well, I, I I have a whole bunch of things that I want to hit with this movie, but I just think that I, we can just start with our overall thoughts of everything. The year is 1991. <sighs> Bill Clinton is president. This is unspooled. Well, is he? No, he's not. He's actually not. It's George H. W. H.W. Bush is still president. <laughs> this is a very H.W.'s America. This portrayal. Uh. I love this movie. I had a very weird experience watching it last night because it felt fresh. It felt new. It felt like I was watching it for the first time, but I still knew every big beat that was coming. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is this scene. Oh, my God, this is about to happen. Like nothing was nothing big was surprising but I was still it's zeroed still, in. It's still hair raising. Like the 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 effectiveness uh, obviously is going to be less if you know all the twists. However, it still really gets your heart racing when it wants to. Like just so uh, so fluidly and effortlessly because Demi is just yeah you know I, he's at his best. Yeah, Directed no, Jonathan by Jonathan Demi. Demi, written by Ted Talley. Yeah, from um, the book by Thomas Harris. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this was I guess we can we can go ahead and get into this now. Um, there is uh, at least four different ways that I counted uh, that this movie could have been a complete note, utter fucking total disaster. Um, by the way, we are going to get into spoilers fairly quickly. I want to so, I want to go in order of like, yeah, okay, everything. then I'll, I'll save I'll save my yeah. overview before we get in. First of all, my first experience with Silence of the Lambs was actually whenever I was like six or seven years old and seeing this VHS cover in a blockbuster. And it's like a very iconic poster of with the moth of Jodie Foster with the moth over her mouth and like the weird skeleton structure. And it terrified me as a kid. <laughs> like it it truly is very unsettling, even looking at now and it's hard to even pinpoint why exactly it's so unsettling, which is kind of a big thing with this movie. It's one of those things where you see the poster and you're like, I don't know what that means. But after you do see the movie, you're like, oh, OK, this is actually the perfect poster for this movie. It explains so much about the film itself. And it's it's very nice that they didn't change the title of the novel because this the silence of the lambs is a book style title like it doesn't reveal anything at all about the movie and and you almost go into it knowing that and thinking like there's no way this is actually going to have any meaning in the story and then when it does you're like god damn it that's fucking good that's Hmm. good (laughs) tell me starling (laughs) have lambs stop screaming um so, yeah, our, our general outline of this is a young FBI cadet played by Jodie Foster uh, must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer played by Anthony Hopkins. Is this the, the IMDb yeah. log line to help catch another serial killer, a madman played by Ted Levine, who skins his victims? Ooh. You talking about me? So no, just, I'm not. I'm definitely not talking to whoever that just is. That's for, not, that's not Ted all, Levine. That's a horrible Ted Levine. We're going to have to work on that Buffalo Bill throughout the course of this podcast. Um, 
So just uh, from that I might, plot description I might work alone, on my Jodie Foster a little bit. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. You got it. It's so tough. It's so tough. To, you gotta, it's so you gotta, tough it's to a little bit more like this. Please, sure. Um, it's a little she's, bit sharper. She's so respectful at every, like, <laughs> it's almost like she, like, when, you know, she, she like, points a gun at someone, she's like, freeze, sir. <laughs> so, first of all, just from that IMDb logline, uh, this movie invented true crime for good and bad. Uh, that whole genre. Manhunter does not exist. Mind Mindhunter Hunter does not yeah, exist. Manhunter Man 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 actually Hoffman. did exist. <laughs> very much exists. Um, and a drastically worse Wait, movie. So um, I, yes, I, I have, I have some, a question for you that I guess could lead into that whole point because I do think that this is one of the most influential movies of all time. Yes. But be, we are doing this right now because Hunter, you're doing your Oscar watch through, and this is a perfect chance to jump in with you. So I want to know: Is this a quote unquote Oscar movie? Yes no. or no? No, that's it's not. And that's the thing. So that's the thing about this movie is that this movie is like it. It's like you you cannot. It's 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 impassable. It came out on Valentine's Day in wow. February. Wow. The only time that that has ever happened that there has been this much fervor around like could this actually be an Oscar movie was Get Out that happened a couple mm -hmm. years ago. Get Out of course couldn't close the deal also not as good of a movie as Silence of the Lambs but it is like you I thought just you were about to say not as good as Shape of Water. I I, I, was, I was about to fucking yeah. pounce. Yeah, no, Shape of Water is a masterpiece. Perfect. <laughs> uh best movie ever. I'm sorry. I forgot about Shape of Water when I said my favorite movie of all time. The the shape of the land there's no fish fucking in this movie we should say mm -hmm. um which is a major disappointment and kind of surprising um, given the amount of fucking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah i'm just gonna go ahead and get into it now it is on netflix if for some reason you haven't seen silence of the lambs it's on netflix but here's the deal i don't ever i i do my criterion episodes on here my little segments and i never say <laughs> you have to go out and buy this thing but let me tell you, it's $20. Um, it is so worth getting the criterion for this movie. The the actual, the color grading that they use in this film and the restoration is appalling. Like the actual job that uh, Criterion does, which usually it's not as staunch of a difference uh, between newer films. I classify newer by anything like mid eighties and on it's mostly, you can notice the difference with really older films, fifties and sixties stuff, but like just little things like the block titling at the very beginning of the film, the blacks, the deep, deep blacks, whenever they have the Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, they just hit differently. And I did kind of just put on because I also had just the normal Blu-ray and I wanted to put on just to kind of see the difference. And it is a very noticeable difference. So I would say I do highly recommend it. There's also some great features, including some great commentary, uh, which I'll get into some of the things they talk about in the commentary later on uh, between Hopkins, Jodie Foster, Jonathan They're all Demme, on the commentary. Uh, the FBI agent who they actually consulted for um, the uh, Jack Crawford character. Wow. Um, things like it's very, very good. Highly recommend that. But if you haven't seen it, I'm going to go ahead and get into some spoilers now. About I, have, this I have I have one last point before spoilers, and it's a follow up question to the question I just asked. How the hell did this movie win Best Picture? So was I, it just an easy year. 
it's not the best year. Yeah, it wasn't a great year, um, that's for sure. But that doesn't stop them from fucking up most of the time. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, this what you Prince of Tides this, came out this year, you, which is a classic Oscar exactly. movie. Yeah, wasn't that like Nick Nolte and Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand, Barbara Streisand directed it. Oh, uh, I'm um, falling asleep just thinking about it. I mean, Prince of Tides isn't a horrible movie. But, it's, but you'd think it's that fine. that would be the one to win the it is, boring. That is the a classic Oscar pick. But I mean, this movie is inevitable. Like this, this movie is the Thanos of movies. What is this? I what is that click? Why are we, Sounds like a metronome. So we put on a click and. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, this this movie uh, rules uh, in every single facet. Like it. So it is, if if listeners don't know. It won Best Picture, mm-hmm. Best Director, mm-hmm. Actress, mm-hmm. Actor, and Screenplay. Only the third movie in history to win the big mm-hmm. five. Any the the other two? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and I don't know. It's an old one. Really this was old part one. of our Oscar it happened trivia in one night. Yeah, okay, you yeah. guys, come on, you guys. Well, yeah, the Oscars it twice are always now. at night. What movie is it? <laughs> Come on, come on, guys. Who's so, on first? You know, ah. this, before we dive into into spoilers, don't go full Rain Man on me over here. I, I can't handle. That. I just want to say that when you go into this movie knowing all of this, knowing how good it is, knowing the acclaim of it, you're still not fucking prepared. No, it, for what it is, it goes darker than you think. It it is Demi. It does a more effective job of putting you deep into the mind of your protagonist than you think. And so you cannot help but be fucking terrified. Yeah. For the larger part of this movie. In ways that other movies don't do it. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest thing about this movie is that it is horrifying. It is unsettling. It is perverse. Yeah. But it's, it doesn't do it in, in in ways that I've seen before, like there's there's a moment in this movie where a man is loading a a a uh, sofa into a van, Ted Bundy style, and the 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 emotional impact that that moment has. Another director, another movie, cannot accomplish it with a with a simple shot like that. Mm-hmm. And this movie does that so many times. So, so many times. So I, I I mean, I know we don't want to plug other podcasts on uh, this podcast because just listen to this podcast and that's all that you need. But um, do you want to give a shout out to the Blink Check podcast? Because they do kind of talk about this a little bit about how Demi is an incredible director, like one of the best of the last 40 years, but he doesn't have a signature shot like the Scorsese's, like the Spielberg's, kind of some of those signature I mean, big the names icon like those. Stuff in here. But that is the thing. That's that is the thing that he does, and it really works. Like this is the best example of that. About it is a camera that is so close to a character's face, and they are looking right into your eyes while they are talking. It's with so Hopkins. unsettling. It is. It's so. Unsettling. It is. It. I mean, it creates the feeling that Hannibal Lecter is talking to you. Yeah. And his use of the misdirect of that, where it's a close up on Judy Foster's face, but she's not making eye contact with the camera. It sets you up perfectly in that scenario to show the relationship that these two people have. It is a little bit that mentor mentee relationship is there, but it's also 
there's this fear. There's this like very unsettling nature to this all that makes you uncomfortable and makes you fearful all the time that mm-hmm. these two characters are together. Yeah. And I think isn't Anthony Hopkins like the be- the the lead the the best actor award winner with the least screen time yes, ever. It is mm-hmm. it is in like the mid twenties minutes. It's around twenty five yeah, minutes. Well, of it depends time. on what you consider screen time. So technically, uh, he like his sc- face is only on screen for about sixteen minutes. Mm. Wow. But I mean, there's if you include like scenes that he is in that he is not in the frame of the camera, then it's like You're thirty. Hearing his voice. It's like thirty minutes. It's still only like a quarter of the movie, yeah. but he, he's still best lead he, actor. Yeah, he looms large all over this mm-hmm. movie. His presence is felt in every scene. A supporting, calling him a supporting actor, and it would not be giving enough credence to what he does for the movie. But I think the biggest missed opportunity here is that. If you're going to nominate him for lead, you got to secure the bag for the man, Ted Levine, for a supporting Ted Levine nom. Yeah. Like Ted Levine. He I, rocks so hard, man. I want to well, get into it. Let's 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 set the table for spoilers right before we do. I just want to again reiterate these two performances of Jodie Foster, Academy Award winning performances of Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins, I think are an all time fucking great yeah three of the most iconic performances and every everybody likes to focus on anthony hopkins because he is impeccable and i've never seen anything like it but jodie foster rules she does so much in this movie so good so if for some reason you haven't seen this movie go into it knowing you're getting something unique and go into knowing you're getting something really unnerving and unsettling and and at times like overwhelming, but it still manages to 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 make this landing of this fucking perfect package of a movie. Yeah, and speaking toward its like unbelievable outsized influence, two of probably the ten most viewed shows of the 21st century are Law and Order, SVU, and Criminal Minds, and neither of those shows exist without Sons of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. They wow, ape yeah. they ape the score. They ape uh, the obviously the relationships. They ape the obsession with the psychology behind why people are doing these things. Uh, it really like I cannot understate how because I grew up watching those shows a lot with family. And a lot of the time, if you watch the uh, offspring before you watch the parent, it ruins the parent. But that's not the case here because this is just so, so, so much better than everything it inspired. Yeah, it is so it's it's flawless. It's an incredible yes. movie. It I have popcorn. I think that this is this is a movie that you could just put on like a film class and you can pick apart every little aspect of this movie and like point to its perfection, whether it's the acting, whether it's the direction, whether it's the score, which the score is so, so good in this film. SVU owes uh, this uh, whoever did the score to this a uh, fat check. I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Howard Shore. Yeah. Howard Shore, who kind of fell off in the 21st century. I mean, he did the Lord of the Rings movies, but since then, those do I have don't some think, incredible scores. Yeah. I mean, he's won a couple of Academy Awards because of those. He didn't win for Lord this one. Movies. He did not win for this. Yeah. film. This film did not win cinematography, which is Silly. the stupidest thing that yeah, I've ever seen. Like, this is one of the prettiest looking. I think it won lost a Prince of Tides. I'm not positive. I don't have that pulled up right now. Well, let's dive but, into spoilers. So this is your final chance. Uh, if you haven't seen the Silence of the Lambs, it's streaming right now. Give it a give it a go yeah. on uh, Netflix. It's a really tight two hours. Like this movie flows. So there's a reason why I watch this movie three times a week is because it 
has yeah. such like yeah. a flow to it. There's there's a point towards the end where I didn't want it to end. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yep. and then I when it ended, I felt the need to just start it up back up again. I actually watched it on Prime Video. So I'm not sure if oh. the the stream is actually a little bit better on that than Netflix. I have no point of comparison, but um, the the last I'd say like 40 minutes of this movie, it's like you're just going downhill on the roller coaster nonstop and yes. it never ends. Mm-hmm. It just keeps going and going and then it just stops and it doesn't even give you time to catch your breath before it's over. It's just incredible. It lost so, to it lost to JFK for cinematography. JFK, that's what it was. Dollar that was the other movie. big. Yeah. I guess it was between this and JFK for best picture. And we're glad this got it. So this is one of the all time great movies. Check it out. It's streaming right now. We're going to get into spoilers. Uh, Silence of the Lambs right now. All right. So first of all, I want to hit a few ways in which this movie could have completely fallen apart and really almost did Um, in the production. Yes, in the production and the pre-production. So originally this film, the book, uh, the option to turn it into a film was bought by Gene Hackman, who is going to who is going to star and direct in the film. That would have been awful. He would have Gene Hackman, not a director. um, First of all, he was also he was going to play who he thought was the hero of the story. FBI lead person Jack Crawford. <laughs> I thought you were about to say the fucking warden of the psychology no, of the uh, insane asylum. Not quite that bad, but close, um, which that already sucks. Um, the film was also going to be Gene Hackman. The person who's going to play the Jodie Foster character was going to be Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. And I could see that they were going That's to have good. a relationship together. It oh, was going to be an underlying relationship. No, it's which, a it's a father. It's a father daughter. And that takes away so much of the feminism elements of this film. There are one of the things that works really well is how nobody ever takes Jodie Foster seriously because she is a woman. If it takes it back to she has to go back to like her daddy supervisor that kills that entire plot line. That sucks. I mean, this movie goes out of its way to make her probably the most competent character in the whole story oh, yeah. easily no oh, she is she is so so good at her job at all times in the movie so there is another thing that would have really fucked up that beautiful pacing that we were talking about in the back half of the film that actually so there was an entire sequence that was shot um and i did watch it on the deleted scenes in which so after um jodie foster goes to see anthony hopkins in uh kentucky or memphis the uh, whole like bird cage yeah, after that sequence jodie foster gets kicked off of the fbi and she gets put on leave and then she just has to like wait is this in the book or is this in the original this is treatment? in the movie they filmed this this oh, was in filmed? this was oh. in the first cut of the movie was that she, gets, in the book she gets kicked off of the force and uh jack crawford is just like you just need to take some time kid just get away and Joey Crawford does the whole like classic TV movie thing where she's just like, I just Going I, can't, rogue. I can't let go of this case. I got to look What's more. Her? I got to go back to the hometown. I got to see where this all happened. And it's like an extra 20 minutes. It really just kind of slows down the entire story because you're like, OK, now we have to do the movie thing where now she gets back into the story. When they premiered this film in L.A., 
a little guy by the name of the king, William Goldman, was in the crowd. Mm -hmm. William Goldman said the movie was excellent. Cut the 20 minutes in which she gets cut, in which she's off the force and they have to get her back on the team. Cut that 20 minutes and it just flows perfectly. Like she doesn't have to like face actions for for going and visiting Hannibal. So the moment when she talks to Crawford and he's in the airplane and they're on the phone, Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's before or after her being cut or if that's a reshoot that needed to happen. Because that to me read as like this bridge piece. It does. As to like where you'd think that that's when this additional conflict would reveal itself. But it it perfectly splits the story. And you don't feel any narrative momentum being sacrificed from it. No. It still keeps going. Yeah, I would not be surprised if they didn't have to even reshoot anything for that. They just re-spliced uh, the conversation so that they, you know, they leave out details about her being rogue investigating. Right. And instead she is investigating because they told her to. They would have to, you know, they obviously had to add in the part where he tells her to investigate. Uh, yeah. It, like back in the small town. Uh, but yeah, it's funny because... Uh, I watched this with a roommate of the pod, Nathan, and it was his first time. And he pointed out that phone call as the only part of the movie that he thought was sort of strangely like not well done. Um, and I think it's because you can sort of feel that it doesn't carry the same momentum that the rest of the movie does. Because they still do a good it's, job. No, with I mean, it. it's still like a really quick. Scene. Oh, and I know they and do a fine job, but it is weird. You're like, OK, so he's in a big plane, like a giant and, and plane. they're catching you up on a lot that you exactly. Missed. Yeah. He's like, no, yeah, we got him. It's all good. Uh, everything's over. Yeah. And you're like, wow. They no, really? well, that's. <laughs> So I think that 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 was originally in that whole just that little scene in there, because the whole thing is that there's like, okay yeah, it's everything safe. And Jody's just like, okay well, I'm going to like check stuff out here like that. There is because it kind of also adds to like we were talking about earlier that Jody Foster is the most competent person there that they're just like everybody in the FBI is like, cool, we we got the guy. We're going to his house now. And they just we like don't need you anymore. <laughs> bust into this dude's house. And it does kind of it does work really well. I don't I mean, we'll have to backtrack a little bit, but seeing kind of the outside of the not Buffalo Bills house, you're like, that doesn't look right. Like mm-hmm. he's in this like very suburban area and there's like people all around. And you're like, how would he have this like dark underground cavern and stuff like that and then when you see the real buffalo bills house you're like yeah no that's well you you're you're being trained to expect that with the flashbacks the way the flashbacks are cut together and and that playing around with with setting of of the shot and reaction shot you know when she sees the her father's car and when she sees all these things and, Mm -hmm. and the movie has this visual language where it's preparing you for that moment uh, that it does so really, really well. Yeah, because things like that, that is one of the main things I wrote down that could be extremely corny is the, you mm-hmm. know, the these sort of seamless transitions into like flashbacks for her to her traumatic, uh, you know, childhood and the death of her father that could go poorly really easily. But also part of the reason that I think that is because it has become cliche in part because of this movie mm-hmm. to do that, you know? Well, that's I think that's one of the things that. I mean, I did kind of have that thought to myself whenever I first rewatched this movie is like, I, 
I don't know, but I think that it does work so well because it immediately, I mean, we talk about Demi's use of cinematic language. It immediately puts, because we're from Jodie's, Jodie Foster's perspective throughout the entire movie. And that puts us in the therapy chair that puts us there. Like we are reclined and our psychiatrist Hannibal, Dr. Lecter is there digging into our past immediately like from the first 20 30 minutes of the film we are just kind of like in this position like he has the advantage and they try and offer tries to tell her like at the very beginning like don't let him get into your head but the thing is that you have to let him get into your head a little bit if you want anything from him otherwise he just won't cooperate that's what happens at the very beginning is that she's just fill out this questionnaire for me and answer some questions and he's just like no <laughs> I won't so, do that. Here's what I love about this movie. We start out right away. She's training in Quantico. Opening credits, opening score. Right at the end of that, by the time the credits are done, we're being introduced yeah. to the story. It's real quick. The, it, the movie it, starts and ends really quick. Yeah. Like <laughs> as soon as she goes in that building and we get that great shot of her in the elevator surrounded by men. Just like perfect shot right there. And she goes to meet Crawford. The conflict is introduced seamlessly right away. You know that like, oh, we're not wasting any time. We're not going into any superfluous subplots. No friends or or love interests or whatever. Thank we're, God. We're here what we're what we're here for, essentially. We know what we came here to do and we're going to get to it immediately. So that was another thing that I learned about in the commentary was originally um, the The token black friend, the screenwriter, um, the screenwriter, Thomas Harris had a story of her having like a boyfriend at home and stuff like that. That was a whole thing. And they had a whole thing about like people questioning her and stuff like that. And Jodie Foster fought for the fact because she's just like, no, I don't need to have a boyfriend because if I was a, a man, nobody would ever ask me while I'm on this mission. Do you have a girlfriend back home? Mm-hmm. And that kind of adds to this film as I mean, there's all kind of different like symbolism and side notes about this movie. But I think that the feminism aspect is something that works very well, as well as um this movie as a story about America. Uh, it's very intentional that when we go into like things like the, um, the storage unit, there's American flags draped everywhere. Or whenever we are in Buffalo Bill's lair, there's American flags. There's also a conservative flag, like a, a Nazi blanket, a Nazi blanket on his, that he is using that this is I mean, even down to whenever the kidnapping actually happens with the van, we're listening to American Girl. That's I mean, it's Dude. this is all like a story. It's it's doesn't hit you over the head with some of the symbolism like no, never in things like I also just recently watched Forrest Gump on the watch through where it's just like the music cues are so obvious that you're like, I get it, Robert, <laughs> Bobby, chill out a little bit. OK, I Bobby got you. Z. <laughs> but this it's never super overt. And it's something that might take multiple watch throughs to even pick up on all this symbolism and stuff that he is doing throughout the story because 
it's never directly about these things. It's a movie that feels tight because the story itself is, but Demi is such an incredible filmmaker that he's able to just with the camera alone yeah. and some of the choices well, establish all these other themes that work into the central story. You're right up close to that girl when she's singing American girl, mm -hmm. like the camera is zeroed in on her and you're slowly panning out. This movie is embracing the dread at every moment mm -hmm. it gets. And that's like, okay, so you're following Clarice she goes to meet Hannibal Lecter. We get this great scene between the two of them. It's fucking electric. And then hard cut to Buffalo Bill with his fucking night vision goggles. And that hard close up as it's cutting between. Well, obviously we get we get her singing in the car. And then as she gets out of the car, then we get the, the night vision goggles. But these are simple shots. These are just extreme close-ups of people's faces. You know, we have these night vision goggles. We have the night vision itself. I don't know if anybody else could have made those shots as fear-inducing as they yeah, are. It's, in it's alchemy. Like, it, yeah, it is greater than the sum of its parts. It's, it's a simple shot. Well, it's just a face or just a, a guy loading a, a, a sofa. A lot of things about this movie, if you describe them, they sound pretty boilerplate. They sound kind of run of the mill. But the way that they're executed is just flawless. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, if you need an example of the exact opposite, then I would point you toward extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. <laughs> the Ted Bundy movie. Oh, Zac Efron, Oof. baby. Starring Zac Efron. Uh, like, there is not an ounce of tension in that movie it is just it's shot as if it's like a regular conversation then he just kills someone like it's it's so it there's no build it, it goes back to like base film like montage theory like the, the shots need to build into one another if you're trying to generate a feeling over time and they always always are in this movie yep like there's so much intent with every single shot is it time to talk buffalo bill because i'm ready Let's do it. Um, okay, so first of all, I think that that is one thing. That is honestly the thing I was worried about the most going back into this rewatch is Buffalo Bill is a person like who does is kind of we'll get into it in a second, but is trying to transition in some kind of a way. Is the serial killer? Is this going to age very badly? What was shocking to me is that this movie was made in 1992 before there was mass 91. culture uh, known about like the transgender community and the way that Demi handles it is really beautiful in my opinion that he is very clear that Buffalo Bill is not a transgendered person that he is a person who has a major identity disorder and he wants to be anybody but himself so he thinks if I become a woman then I won't I can get out of my own skin that I have, but like, I mean, Hannibal is a fucking Hannibal is the cannibal, but he is a genius doctor. And he's like this person, like there's a reason why he got denied all these um, transgender surgeries that he wanted to have was because he is not a real transgender person. He yeah. is a person who is just deeply mentally and sickly ill. He says in there like transgender. Gender people are like very passive people like that. It was just little moments like that that I was like, oh, 
Demi is such an empathetic, empathetic filmmaker that he didn't even try to that he made sure to define a line, say this person is not like this person is not normal. This person is not a not, normal, not community. representative of that. Community. He is not representative of that community, nor is he of just like humanity as a whole. Like that this is a, a sickly person. It's a fine line because so many other movies or stories like this would not show us the serial killer until it's absolutely imperative. But this movie gives us so much of the Buffalo Bill character from early on that it takes up a substantial chunk of the movie. And that's a risk that you're taking as a filmmaker to give that character so much time away from your other main characters and still be able to sell it as a very unlikable person who you should not sympathize with or 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 think that they have any right to do the things that they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's it is it is that fun that you're talking about where it's just like you can empathize with certain aspects of him and how he is a person who is deeply mentally ill and needs help while still knowing that he is a psychopathic person who needs to be like imprisoned because of the heinous things that he has yeah, done. Yeah, you're not you're not meant to empathize with this character. You spend time with him because he's compelling to watch. You don't spend time with him because they're trying to build a relationship right. with him. <laughs> and it's unbelievable that this movie like takes that time. I was I was in awe of like the amount of time that we get in this basement and then we get these close-ups of him doing his disgusting shit that he's doing yeah. it's like again any other movie any other fucking best picture movie would leave all of that out and just focus on your on your hero cop your hero yeah. fbi agent and this movie chooses to be like okay no we're gonna we're gonna table that for a second and we're gonna give you these scenes of this disgusting serial perverted killer guy i mean not only in just even if he wasn't a serial killer so many of these get it wrong think about like the danish girl like think about something like that that's just like this is going to be an empathetic view of a transgender person yeah, it's, it's just like Redmayne. fuck you like this movie sucks i'm not this sucks i'm not giving this any of my time but this film it rides that line so perfectly and um you mentioned it before, Drew, but Ted Levine is one of the most iconic performances that I have yeah, ever seen. He, he rocks hard. Um, so much about his uh, like delivery and voices, like a large part of it is innate. He just has like an unbelievably like elastic and, and baritone voice. Uh, he gets, he gets kind of like this yeah, he, a couple well, he gets, times. But his he can get a little bit like and then a couple times. Uh, but we're dealing like, just due to the style of the movie, we're dealing with a lot of really close in long shots of him, and he's always delivering every single time he's on screen. As a child, I knew him as Detective Leland Stottlemyer on the Emmy winning USA Network <laughs> uh, series Monk. He is, oh. he is the chief of police in San Francisco. Wow, and he blends in effortlessly into that show you would never guess that he had played <laughs> you is, know this deranged serial killer i mean it is kind of sad that he didn't at least get a nomination for this because in a lot of ways um buffalo bill kind of ruined his career for many years he was just kind of like people didn't know what to do with him because he was just typecast he was too good he was typecast as a serial killer 
Ted Levine was like, no, I don't want to be the serial killer. So he just didn't act for a while. He was in heat. He's really, really good in heat um, in a smaller part. That's kind of just a two hander of a film. Yeah. But speaking of casting things, um, another person that said no to playing Hannibal because he didn't want to get typecast as a villain was Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Ah. I mean, dude, Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Well, he is I think so good. I really feel that a big part of the reason he's so good is because we don't have a huge relationship with him outside of this movie up until the point when it comes out. Like yep. he, he, we we are meeting this man and we're like, who in the fuck are you? <laughs> like who on earth is this absolute? Freak? He's inhuman. And speaking toward things that really shouldn't work in the movie. A lot of what he's doing shouldn't work on paper because he is an American man speaking in the most outlandish accent yeah. I've ever heard in my life. No one has ever spoken like that. It's transatlantic. Well, like it's like someone doing a fake transatlantic from the 30s. Yeah. You know, like it is so absolutely <laughs> off off the wall, every, like silly. Well, every choice he makes is like just so balls to the walls. Actually, you didn't say the big one who was actually like Jonathan Demi really wanted to have Sean Connery. Mm hmm. This was right around Hunt for Red October time and everything. Um, but it is a drastically worse movie with Sean Connery as yeah, Hannibal Lecter. No, dude. Anthony Hopkins just taps into something just so unsettling. He has a look. Like, he looks fucking freaky. Yeah. The and way he stands when you first see him. Yeah. And he's he is perfectly standing dead still. center in the midst of the, the chaos that she's just walked through down this hallway to yeah. get to him. And he is just standing perfectly still. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's incredibly uh, obviously like the framing of it is is great, like everything leading up to it. But he is center stage and he is never like letting you down. Uh, it's just, you know, it's a fucking powerhouse. And uh, you got to you got to respect the guy for getting them checks, keeping on playing Hannibal after this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I was going to save that for later, but we can get into it now that I think that is. Probably the thing that has aged the worst about uh, the, the Silence of the Lambs is the sequels. Um, of course, the movie well, he, Hannibal he only, and then um, he only uh, did one or Red Dragon, Red Dragon, in yeah. which was filmed uh, over 10 years after this movie. And he plays a 30 year younger version of himself than he is in this movie. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. Just keep getting them checks. Hopkins directed dear God. by Brett Ratner. Yep. Um, so Gross. that that tells you everything you need to know about that movie. Um, but also, I mean, I never watched the TV show. I have heard really good things about the Hannibal show, but I've heard that when it gets Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, that some of the like the weaker seasons of that are when they tried when they're trying to figure out what to do with Hannibal's character post to, Silence of the Lambs, okay. because that's kind of the thing about. The end of this movie is perfect. It's a perfect send off for the film. Dr. Lecter? Dr. Lecter? The end of this movie is what inspired these shitty sequels dinner. that happened because people are like, oh man, like, ooh, maybe what's, what's going to happen after he has his old friend for dinner? It's like, actually, no, that's a worse story and we don't need to see that. <laughs> um, like, it's, it's better to just kind of leave that question up in the air. Speaking uh, of the old friend he's having for dinner i would argue that anthony healed is doing a little too much i love anthony healed in this movie. he's over the top his character is written pretty poorly too like i don't think it's entirely on him it's just this cartoonish villain dr frederick chilton who's running this like asylum it, yeah. it's insane so i <laughs> I, I mean he does a good job but yeah it's rough he's, it's, in, he's in a bit of a different movie i i like him in this movie because you you kind of need 
you need some kind of a negative force in this like hospital, something that is like actually inflicting the emotional and psychological pain on uh, Hannibal Lecter that he actually deserves. Cause you know, it talks about, he's like kind of friends with the uh, like some of like the, the um, nurse people who come by and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Cause he is like, he has this dark charisma to him and you need an energy like that to just be like, you're, fucking sick I'm yeah just, you i'm kind of getting like to torture be tortured yeah. yeah no that that character like it makes sense to have him he's just being a cartoon <laughs> like he, he's going over the top i like him i like like he does he almost adds like some weird kind of dark humor to the film scott glenn though is crawford i think is the unsung hero of this yeah. whole thing he does a, he does a really great job because as you said so much involving him is cut out um uh, particularly out of the original it's so script, crazy even stuff see- that was filmed is cut out and he is doing a really solid understated job of just it i, I wouldn't even call it like hardly a parental relationship it is in many ways it but- ends up being that in the final scene that handshake yeah you're like that's that- the closest thing they have to a, f- a father daughter yeah hug. because i mean obviously that's how it's framed especially because she lost her father like mm. he is the replacement in that way but also it's it is a transactional relationship that they have in which her career is being forwarded and he is getting what he wants out of Hannibal because of her. And that's why he chose her. Yeah, no, it's it's perfect for those reasons. And that's why I, I think that like kind of knowing a little bit of the background of where the story was going to go originally does like it because at that first interaction that uh, Jodie Foster and Hopkins have in the cell where he's just like, mm, do you send you here? Does, does he think about undressing you? Does he want to <laughs> fuck you? Does he wish that he could throw semen in your face? Um, <laughs> like that does kind of make that whole scene click in a different way. But even outside of that, it does. It's it's Hannibal trying to pry everything he's just yeah. keeps saying these little jabs and seeing what of them sticks and you can see a he's little a psychologist I you mean, can see because the camera is so close when he says something about her childhood an eye there's just a little bit of an eye twitch it's these kind of micro dude, acting choices acting. that jo- that jody foster so does good. that's like you can't even teach something like that. Most people's faces don't even just make that little, that almost imperceptible kind of a move. But Hopkins is so aware at all times because one, he's just a psychologist and two, he's a sociopath psychopath that he picks up on these little things. And he's like, that's my angle. That's what I have to say. If I just throw something against the wall, I will find something that sticks. And that's my move to get into this person. I got to say, Hopkins performance is like kind of funny. Oh yeah. Like, oh, there's definitely I, like I was laughing a lot. No, yeah. He's he's going nuts. Yeah. My favorite, yeah. my favorite sequence with him is whenever the, the second senator? time that they oh well the senator is good too, but the second time that they meet and there's the hyper close-ups, and then he's just like Buffalo Bill, he's not a real transgender person. <laughs> he will be doing this. And then he looks down away from the camera, he's like so tell me what happened at that farm. Yeah. <laughs> and now it just kind of keeps going back and forth because they Did they also have a trans transactional relationship. Everything in this is very real and human because it's just like I am coming to you because I need something. Yeah. You're right, though, that there is plenty of, of funny in what he's doing. That just doesn't really it's it's the rare case where it really doesn't subtract in any way. Well, it's it's it, more so, I think, just a a, a, a 
a re uh, a gut reaction to being so freaked out at this guy. Like all I could do was laugh because I didn't know what it's else just, to do. What really, really just like like was in my face during this watch because I've seen this movie like many, many times. It's a favorite of my parents. Um, was the voice? It's un. It is inconceivable where did he you is. breastfeed her? Where in the hell is he from? <laughs> He's not from anywhere. It. I mean, it has like that cartoon factor, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue where like he has like some Skeletor in his voice, or like some Doofenshmirtz from fucking Phineas. Toughened your nipples, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just it's so over the top, and yet if like visually the acting he's doing is so impeccable that like it's lent a lot of legitimacy, I think. And that combination makes it so every second he's on screen, it's all you can think about. Like all you can, like he fills up the entire frame. Yeah. I I mean, it is, I I do just really quickly want to go back to one thing about Scott Glenn um, and about his performance. Cause as I mentioned earlier on the commentary, they talk about um, like the FBI agent who Scott Glenn like interviewed and spent a lot of time with was on there. Apparently Scott Glenn is a very liberal person and the FBI agent talked about how um, Scott Glenn was very against the death penalty. So Hmm. the FBI like chief um, took him to all these places and like made him read all these case files and basically traumatized Scott Glenn so that he would like be a person who would say that like, yeah, no, these people should die. Jeez. (laughs) The production behind this movie is insane. Were these were these like Hannibal esque guys? Like like cannibalistic, like mad fucking freaks. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there was a whole assortment of terrible, terrible. I mean, even if you like read into like even like the more popular serial killers, the Ted Bundys, if you actually read into their case files, it's like, oh my God, this is the most disgusting thing that I've ever read in my life. Yeah, reading reading Ted Bundy's Wikipedia is a lot better than watching that movie. And I'm not joking. I've read I like that's how I, you know, initially found out about all of Ted Bundy's. Just mm-hmm. read through the wiki. It's so much better than that like bitch ass movie. Yeah, it sucks don't, so don't bad. watch that. Um, Extremely loud and incredibly close <laughs> yeah with tom hanks tom, like, How, yeah and then like semicolon why? and vile <laughs> did this movie just kind of like fuck up people's i mean maybe it is because it is like a work of fiction and it's harder to do it in real life without doing it justice maybe manhunter or mindhunter is the way to go where it's like based on real people but kind of fictional in its own way but i can't believe that there just hasn't even been like a half decent ted bundy movie I don't know what the answer is there. I guess it's, you know, there's been sort of a revitalized love for, you know, all of this due to like, honestly, true crime podcasts uh, Mm -hmm. have done a lot uh, for this. And so to capitalize on that, they just slap together this doo doo butt movie. Um, But this is better than a movie about Ted Bunny because it's about a guy who uh, is more interesting and sucks worse. Like you don't need it to be about an actual case. Uh, that said, it's a good point. Like we could have one, but there are a lot of real life stories where like they just couldn't crack a movie. And at this point, it's been done poorly so many times that they just stopped trying. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that I want to see that by any means. I just I just kind of surprised that like somebody hasn't like some bigger named filmmaker because we've seen plenty of times where it's just somebody who isn't as talented try and make this and it's bad. Um. I uh, we haven't talked enough about the score for this film. I feel yes, like it, yeah, it it's uh 
a lot of the time it is really like maybe the fourth most uh like obvious thing that's happening Mm -hmm. but it is filling space in like the perfect way it is so uh it's just always it's it's really like having an incredible supporting actor in a movie it's almost another character in the movie yeah (laughs) um no but i mean like i it's it's not a john williams score where there is like one signature piece of music that you can pick out but like it is perfect especially i'm i'm surprised that he didn't do more stuff with demi because demi is so so much about using the camera to evoke mood and that's really what um howard shore does with his score in this film that it is just like it just adds this extra layer of tension that you just get these strings that are just playing like right in this key moment and it just creates this kind of feeling in your gut when you see all this together it's so understated but it is still something that like i've even before i rewatched it sometimes whenever i'm like doing work or whatever i'll put on the silence of the lambs soundtrack while i'm working put on the score that's weird you're weird i am <laughs> learning a lot about myself that this is my yeah. favorite movie ever i have a question uh way back to your point about the law and order ties mm. Uh, so we've already talked about how this movie is so influential with, you know, countless things, but the visual language of a FBI team analyzing a dead body, I don't think was as ingrained before this movie came out. Well, especially because think about uh, this is obviously what you would probably call a psychological thriller pretty much through and through but it gets lumped in with horror because it's fucking scary it's very scary uh what had been going on in scary movies up to that point in terms of uh dead body you know gore type stuff you show it all the, the 80s was slasher movies mm-hmm. yeah uh yeah. where it's just like cartoonishly insane yeah murders being depicted yeah, so to see just truly what an autopsy of someone who had been serial killed and skinned looks like, that was new. And that's another thing that, like, particularly, I think, SVU more than any other Law & Order just took, where they they will show, you know, like like Mulaney says, at 3 p.m. on a Wednesday, they will show you a dead body that had <laughs> yeah. been raped. Well, what I was thinking during that sequence is, in a Law & Order episode, these guys looking at this dead body would be completely unfazed. They would be like, this is their third body this, this yeah. today mm-hmm. in one day. They, they're doing this all the time. They're completely unfazed by it. But in this movie, we're again, like we've been saying, like Hunter said, we're in the perspective of Clarice. Yeah. And they put the stuff under their nose because it not fucking smell it. It reeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's brutal. It's so perfect. And it's so unsettling and I've never seen anything like it. It's so good. And it really gets under your fucking skin. It's, it's chilling. It's chilling to the fucking bone. Even when she's being shown Polaroids of what's happened to other bodies, like those Polaroids are just like viscerally hard to look at. I mean, it is because they're so real. This did also, um, I think that this might've also started the unfortunate cliche of here's the body. We've already analyzed it, but have you, looked in the mouth there's something in the airways <laughs> unfortunately God. it probably started that um another fun fact about that scene uh that poor actress i can't remember i was just trying to look up uh the name of her but i don't remember the character that she played in that moment american girl um no 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 no, no the, the dead, dead body, body that they have she had to hold her breath for like four minutes because that moth like that 
that it was actually a piece of chocolate, but it was lodged in her airways. And they had to actually and they had to actually pull that out. But she had to hold a breath and they it took him a few scenes because like naturally your body like you kind of exhale whenever something is blocking your airways and she has had to keep holding in her breath until they cut that's impressive that and is really I mean, impressive this, this movie had a pretty small budget 19 million just give it a two a two more million dollars to do a fake body yeah so you I'd, don't have to have an actor but that's one that. of the things about this uh, this was such a surprise of a movie like the book we didn't really talk about the book much i haven't read it i'm interested to from what i've heard the tone of the book is very different it's very very gothic um and kind of a lot more dour than this film is this movie has a sense of dread to it but i wouldn't necessarily call this a dour film um but was a big release, but people didn't really have high expectations. Demi wasn't the guy yet. He had kind of done uh, a few different things that people really liked a lot, um, but wasn't a huge, huge household name. He's no so Gene only Hackman, had, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so it only had $19 million budget, but this movie made like over $200 million at the box office. Yep. It was a huge, huge hit. 272. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's For massive. 91? For a horror movie in 91. Jurassic Park The Lost World didn't make that much money eight years or six years later. Yeah, I mean, 19, I, I'm guessing adjusted for inflation, it's probably like 350 or something like that, which is still a massive, massive. success yeah. for a horror movie on a $19 million budget. So there's two big things we still need to talk about. One of them is the the very end, um, or I guess the whole like climax at, at Buffalo Bills. Yeah, because that's yeah, when well, it, it approaches like movie, like all time movie. I, but, I think that it can go back even before that. But yeah, that's what I was about to say. Before we even get to that, there's the whole sequence the with break, Hannibal. Yeah, that's what I was out. talking so, about. That final like 30, 40 minutes is like Pantheon. Yes, so, I think so that first, that is the best segment of any movie that I've ever seen in my life is the last 40 minutes of this film. First, we have Coleris visiting him and the whole have the lamb stop screaming. That monologue is so good. The camera dying. is all the way up in his face. A hundred and fifty percent. Can't even but see that mullet. <laughs> before that, before that even happens, it's kind of expert of setting up the story later on that Hannibal is getting shipped out, and we see Hannibal look at the pen. And he holds on to and he gets the pen. He's holding on to that for like 20 minutes of screen time until that actually pays yeah, off. I mean, that actress, like, yeah, four minutes of the thing in her mouth. He had that thing in his mouth for days. <laughs> he had that pen in his mouth. <laughs> I, I been, thought I thought it was like the bone of the lamb chops for a second. <laughs> and then it clicked that it was the there, pen. And I was that, like, my no, God. Yeah, that is that's one thing that in retrospect is like it's almost like Spielbergian how he like really telegraphs it to the audience like yeah that, he, that he's gonna take that motherfucker and then also when uh he's in the airport hangar and there's that slow zoom in on him because you know <laughs> like that it's very it reminded me of catch me if you can where Spielberg yes. is yeah. like Spielberg yeah. was like everyone on board you're gonna understand this yeah you know yeah everybody you know what's coming and you know honestly like I I, I'm going back to my point about like this feeling fresh, but even when it feels fresh and there's this balance of like knowing what's coming, it's an it's an eerie thing to watch this movie and see 
the payoffs being set up, there's this moment very, very early on when she's training at the FBI headquarters. And I think it's Scott Glenn, question mark, who tells her like, hey, you got to watch your corner. You're not checking your corner. Bang, mm-hmm. bang, you're dead. Maybe it was some rando. It was some guy. I think. Yeah, it was some rando. But anyway, that setup of her not checking her corner is perfectly fucking paid off mm-hmm. in the night vision sequence. It's so, so good. That night vision sequence. Well, we're, we're getting been, ahead. Yeah. Let's let's keep talking about the breakout. Okay, first. so before, yeah, okay, we'll we'll get to that in just a second. But um, before we get there, I mean, you did mention that whole the setting up, but I think that that is one of the genius things that this movie does is that there is setup and payoff. But there's such an extended time in between the setup and payoff that you are lulled into this false sense of security or this false sense of tension. Like you almost forget the setup that happened earlier on in the movie. And that works so well for the lamb chop scene. If I'm going to pick a nit, um, maybe don't give the cellmate a second uh, serving of lamb uh, while he's in Guy <laughs> requested a cell. second dinner. We had to do it. No, dude, I was I was literally <laughs> thinking like, this is the best security you have for fucking Hannibal well, Lecter. These two idiot <laughs> cops. Well, it, it, it's local, but they are like Memphis PD. Like they get local cop staff yeah. to handle this because they and, can't hire people but then i mean that gets cleaned up immediately when you cut to the the lobby and the whole fucking squad is there yeah ready to go allocate your human resources (laughs) a little differently guys maybe put three people or four where the killer is you have hannibal lecter (laughs) and you're gonna just send up the two dumbest two, motherfuckers. Like, late 50s guys were just like biding their time to get pension. <laughs> well, they thought that it was a very simple task. Like, and in theory, this is something we don't know exactly. It's unclear how long he's been there. For all we know, he could have been in the cell for months. like a couple weeks, months or something yeah. like that. Well, no, that's and why so it's, it's just, it's, like, it's a yeah. nothing thing. It's just like, all right, just go up and hand him, hand him his food. That's all be, you have to do. It can't be that long because it's set up that Buffalo Bill kills his victims three days after they've been captured. But another use, another genius piece of setup that they have that shows how smart Jodie Foster is, is in that one scene, because here's the thing, Buffalo Bill didn't know he was stealing a Sanders daughter. He thought he was just taking another girl who matched his description. Mm -hmm. Big. But she went on Fleshy. TV. There's TVs in his basement and in his house. He, we know that he does watch the TV and everything. And by going on and keeping keep saying her name, he is making Buffalo Bill think of her as a person. So I think that she is actually he is being held there for a longer period of time than he than normally holds days. his girls. That's probably why we have the lotion in the basket scene is because he's thinking like, Oh, she's going to get dried out sitting down there for a long time. Rub the lotion on your skin so that you can it stay. Lo- the lotion Regardless, the I was, skin. I was fine with them being stupid because this was a secondary location for Hannibal. They've obviously never held a serial killer. There's no protocol for it. This yeah. is all like on the fly <laughs> shit that they're coming up with. Like, how do we deal with this? There's no here? precedent for somebody um, like, cannibal lector that said i'm sure we can all probably agree that the first time we watched we didn't know that he had the face on 
Is that true? Dude, I did not fucking know so, the first time I watched it. So I don't this know is because I've ta- seen this movie so many times, so it's hard for me to put myself back in the first position. Like now, I remember knowing, vividly being like, that rocks. That's That's the it's thing. So it's so cool. Like, like, yeah, it's, it's still like fucking rules. It that's, worked on, on uh, Nathan, who I watched it with. He was like, I had no fucking it's, clue. <laughs> it's fucking movie magic. Yeah. But for me, mm. a person who is obsessed with movies... I knew I just this is just one of those things. It's like it's like the sixth sense. Like it's just ingrained in popular culture that this is what happens in this movie. But it still fucking works. It still hits, Mm -hmm. even though you know that it's coming when he sits up in that fucking ambulance. Mm. Was this your first time like this time watching? Well, that's that's what I'm saying is like it felt fresh. Okay. It felt so, yeah, fresh. So you just didn't have like a strong memory because of it. I hadn't seen it in a long time. But I knew. Yeah, you knew. That. I knew that he was going to bite the nose. Mm-hmm. I knew that he was going to wear the face. I knew that he was going to that she was going to shoot him in the night vision. Like all of these things are yeah. ingrained. These these big moments mm-hmm. are ingrained in my mind. But the wearing of the face just works if it's your first time. Yeah. Like it really, really does. Even though in retrospect now watching it. Like you, you're looking at that guy and you're like, that officer did not have a strong chin earlier. Now he does. He has, he seems to have Anthony Hopkins' yeah. chin <laughs> as a, as a cadaver. I, but obviously, you're not. Th- that's not even a thought in your head the first time you're so, watching. But but when you see the the faceless white T-shirt in the elevator shaft, you're like, motherfucker, yeah. here we go. I mean, okay. So also, um, it just another side thought that I had while watching this movie was, um. Man, like if Buffalo Bill or if Buffalo Bill had the same skills that Anthony Hopkins <laughs> had, then that that woman suit that he was building would have already been like ready to go by now because he like perfectly flays yeah. that body into like an angel in like 15 minutes It is the most tops. beautiful, the most beautiful shot of the entire film is like the light coming through. And it's this whole angelic photo and talking about the score score kicking in. Yeah, that in that, that rocks moment. hard. It also it's very smartly set up because that entire room is so beautiful. Like mm-hmm. the new cage that he's in. And it makes sense because they would just kind of put him in a ballroom that they had free. Um, but that also allows them to just set up film lights above him, yes. like almost like wrestling style, yes. like trusses of lighting. So like you don't have to think like, well, where is this light coming from? Like, it's just because they, that's like what they would do. <laughs> like that's how they would light it. It's so and if you happen cool. to if you happen to have a cinematic eye like Anthony Hopkins t- seems to in this movie, <laughs> you just throw a body right in front of the spotlight so it's just blinding it's beautiful i mean it just it does like that whole breakout sequence is so effective and i don't know again i don't know the actors whoever the extras were who played the fbi guys who well, like that had was to go that was there. the other point i had about this whole sequence is just like before when we took a hard turn to focus on buffalo bill abducting american girl we take a hard turn to focus on this group of cops yeah Oh, for like a solid go, like and, six seven and minutes these are the main characters yeah. of the movie and, and for the, this stretch and the yeah and the cops who are not the two who die are doing like every like they're they're following every protocol they can yeah. to do the right thing but and, they've just already lost but it's kind of hilarious when you get these like SWAT guys arriving like cocking their shotguns and they're like 
they're like, here we go. We're the main characters of the movie right now, guys. <laughs> here we go. And you're like, this is great. It rules, especially, you know, if like like America didn't know that he had already gotten away. And the way that things slowly unfold with like the blood dripping down from the elevator shaft, you're like, did they get him? Like, do they have him here? <laughs> even if you, so even if, cool. even if you obviously are going to assume that he's going to get away, you're but like, when you still know in this that, moment, they have, but him, well, though. that's the thing is that it's not like, because buff, like Hopkins is in this weird spot with the way, or I guess the way that Demi films him and that they, they write his character is that he is never the central antagonist of this film. So like, he can die when there's 40 minutes left in the movie and that's okay. Or Buffalo he can get Bell captured because Buffalo Bill yeah. is the central antagonist. So that you're, kind of, you're kind of ready for him to disappear, but you still feel yeah, weird. But about he it. could get captured and put back away in prison or he could escape. Like it really is one of those things where it could go either way in the moment. So this whole breakout scene is is perfection like the whole the 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 cops going out and and trying to find him and then the reveal in the ambulance is just fucking cinema beautiful then we get to the big climax in buffalo bill's house and the dual timelines where you think they're heading to the same house and then it's the fake out that they're heading to different houses all of that is perfect but Girl, Clarice, you kind of stupid, though. <laughs> you a little bit stupid, though. You're a cadet and you're going to go into this man's house without letting anybody know where you're going. Mm. And you're going to pull your gun and let him run away. And you're going to go after him. That's where the mistake comes in. I mean, she is inexperienced. She's she a rookie. Yeah, she's she, never it, it tracks. She's like, yeah, she's not even a rookie. She's never done anything, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that that makes sense. That whole time, I was like, "You're stupid." Yeah, because her grand You're mistake stupid. there is just letting. Like, he runs deeper into the house. What she could do is then leave the house and just and let call, him let him be in Scott the house. Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking call but him. But there's a good chance she, like even logically it might make sense cuz she could be thinking, well, he's got a girl in here. Yeah. Like I can't oh, just yeah. let him go down to the dungeon where he's No, I mean the whole sequence where like, or whatever. the camera like pans up to the moth mm-hmm. right behind her oh, and then you see the so real good. moth right in front of her. It's so masterful be, where you're like, okay, Clarice doesn't get it. But Jonathan Demi gets it, mm-hmm. and you're yeah. you're you're right in there where it's like the the character yeah. isn't with it, but at least the filmmaker knows that you know where we're at right. Well, now. that's that's the thing that Demi Demi does so well is that he he makes you the audience member be like just ever so slightly ahead of the characters. It's not yes. a thing where we know where it's going the entire time. We know where it is because we see Buffalo Bill where it's like, oh shit. And then that subtle pan that you talked about to the moth photo. But at that moment, like, I don't think like, so Clarice didn't know whenever she first entered the house, she was just like, all right, I just need to try and like figure out things. Cause I have to do a whole report and whatever I have to like, figure out what's going on, kind of the source of all this kind of information. And 
how that is set up that we she doesn't realize until he starts being kind of sketchy and she's kind of looking around and then as soon as the moth flies by she that's knows. when that's when the trigger immediately yeah. goes oh off also his acting once she has to use the phone and he's like laughing is like <laughs> so good man mm-hmm. oh my god it's haunting it's really it rules incredible. and then the way he like cartoonishly slips away is it reminded too. me it reminded me of zodiac a little bit fincher you know mm-hmm. and, oh yeah, absolutely and 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 fincher never reveals who the actual killer really is he it's kind of like left up to your interpretation but yeah. you still get that same feeling of like holy shit yeah when they're Jake in the Gyllenhaal house the is yeah. in the well, yeah fucking- which is like just horror movie 101 like you want them to do one thing it makes sense to do one thing and they just don't do it because that's what it's tension so is effective. it's yeah. so effective but as we're going so she pulls the gun he runs away girl fucking shoot what are you fucking doing fucking shoot she doesn't but he runs away into the basement as she's searching the doors Mm -hmm. this is what i'm thinking is holy shit this setup of the lamb speech from hannibal right before is paying off right here Mm -hmm. this is why she is being so fucking stupid because she needs to save this girl Yep. Have the lambs stopped? Tell lying. me, darling. <laughs> Are the lambs stopped screaming up? Have the lambs stopped screaming, Clarice? <laughs> it's yeah. so good. No, it's, it is. It's so good it's because incredible. it's like you're getting the kind of uh, shitty decision making that you need to advance a thrilling plot line, but it's set up perfectly in the sequence before. But I, I kind of want to backtrack for a second here because. Well, I also wanted to say we we have just kept referring to her as the American girl girl. But I really do love Catherine Martin as um or uh, Brooke Smith, who plays Catherine. That's Martin, another. Girl. This is I think maybe this is the most impression heavy movie of all time. You can do impressions of a lot of characters. Yeah, no, but I, I really love how like real her performance is, especially whenever Jodie Foster does show up there. She's just like, get me the fuck out of here. He's fucking crazy. And she's yeah, just like, she's like I'm going to be I'll back be, for you. And she's like, fucking, fucking bitch. bitch. Fucking yeah. bitch. <laughs> well, so I think that this performance is is almost too good because it you almost don't click that this is the same girl that you saw get in the van with Buffalo Bill. It's it's you have to do a little bit of extra thinking to think, oh, yeah, this is the American girl that got in the van and now is in the well. It almost like you have to like do a little bit of extra thinking. Uh, but it, it does it does clear. Of course, it all checks out. It's a great. performance. Yeah, that was that was fine by me. I, I think she rocks. Um, I love when she gets the dog and she's like, he yes. needs a vet, mister. <laughs> He broke his leg on the way down. I know it. He's been licking it. Do do we think that she kept that dog no. after the end of this movie? No, that dog is fucked. I talk is just she is like murdered. I think that she dog. I think she wanted to, but her mom is, you know, a high powered senator and she was like, Yeah, no, honey, I think that that dog does need a vet. We're gonna send it to the nice vet in the countryside <laughs> where it can uh, run around with all the other dogs who needed a vet. I have I have And a- then it happens is like, has the dog stopped screaming? <laughs> I have a big question, though, before we like really get into the meat of the, the the finale. This sequence of Clarice talking to Hannibal about the lambs. There's a big question mark for me here, and I know that this is a Demi thing. Why wasn't this a flashback? We have flashbacks of her 
father. We have flashbacks of her father alive and then of her in the funeral home with the dead body. Why don't um, we get a flashback of this lamb story? Okay, I obviously don't want to say for sure because we can't know. But I think that a an actual flashback would be maybe like eight times cornier than hearing Jodie Foster, who is a way better actress than a child, uh, talk about it. You know what I mean? And because it's also easier to ascribe it to being her memory rather than like making the mentally before like, okay, this kid is her. I get it. I get it. I get it. You know? Well, also, I think that the... The genius thing about the two examples of flashbacks that we see in this film is that the flashbacks are never expressly telling the story. The flashbacks are expressing a tone. So in like the scene where we see her father coming home, that's just one little faint memory that she has where she experienced joy. When we see her in the funeral parlor, we know her father is dead, but we also we just get that feeling of sadness that she felt towards her father. If we have a moment where she is like seeing the lambs crying and then so I think that it gets a little bit too exposition heavy in the flashbacks yeah. well, which is also, something that i think that demi tries to avoid uh correct me if i'm wrong too but in is it every flashback in which it seamlessly transitions into it's it it's so yes. good is that is yeah. that all okay you can't do that in the the prison hallway where she is you cannot yes, transition seamlessly too. into the outdoors in a farm well that one that one is in the birdcage room either way you can't like that is but not still, a thing yeah. where like she could be walking and then suddenly see an outdoor farm you know like yeah, that doesn't happen it, it, she it, is static in the scene she i mean she doesn't say anything in any of these flashbacks like there's no, no dialogue yeah. Yeah, she's like she's in the funeral home and she just that she like has. she just starts walking toward it and it mm. becomes a flash whereas with then you have her telling a whole story my my whole reading about her telling the story about the lambs is that maybe it didn't actually happen maybe this is a false memory maybe her going to live with this family after her dad dies is is so traumatic that she has these nightmares mm. that register as memories when they were actually just sort of like, nightmares. like a mash style like the episode of mash where this guy keeps on talking about how he had to keep a chicken quiet during when enemies were attacking and then at the end you find out it was a baby that he had to kill yeah well, something, that does, yeah, something i mean that does make sense i mean lambs silence and the lambs is also just a metaphor in itself like lambs yeah. often represent kind of innocence that's an interesting and killing read. of innocence i didn't think about it like that but that does i work. mean it just it just checks out in my head because like we see her father we see the the funeral of her father and then we don't see these lambs so to me it's a deliberate choice that's i love that you just brought that up because i've never i've seen this movie so many times i've never actually thought about that before. that's 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 a totally fair interpretation i'd be interested in seeing what the book says because i would imagine uh to me it strikes me as almost slightly hacky writing in that it's a direct ripoff of salinger's uh catcher in the rye yeah um but you know I, that doesn't like take away from uh, any interpretation you could have in the film because it's still it's it's not so much a ripoff as it is just the same thing like the same uh, I wouldn't call it a trope because I don't want to be an annoying internet guy but it's 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 the idea of having this broken orphaned main character use that it void emptiness feeling to fuel the narrative momentum of the story 
you know, and Demi like kind of just uses it to to the best possible way it can in this story where like you have Clarice and, and, and it's not like dumped at the beginning. It's carefully laid out throughout the whole movie and you uncover more and more as the story plays along. But you eventually end up with this character who is completely alone, completely just like ripped from any sort of like love of a family or anything like that. And all she has is this job, yeah. essentially. No, I know. I, I I just I also do think, though, that cinematically it would have sucked to see that, to see the lamp because the transition because then you end up thinking, OK, if we're having a flashback because everything else is so ethereal, all these flashbacks. I, like, are they going to, like, take us to the farm, but then maybe Anthony Hopkins is still standing there with her talking to that her? That would have been too much. That sucks. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that yeah. blows. So I think there's, in addition to, like, there being that, like, cool reading, I think there's just also no way to film it. I mean, also, I think that it works really well because that's the only monologue that we have the entire movie. That's really, like, just the only time that we have a character just a character talking for multiple minutes yeah. straight in the entire yeah. and also small budget again maybe the actual getting actual lambs they was just to too expensive it was lambs, like american like sniper like the lambs just didn't show up <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just cut it out <laughs> so let's get to the end so she's in buffalo bills mm. pad in the basement she is frantically trying to do yeah. her whole FBI Just thing and cover every corner. So Wildly good acting. Another. So this they shot that entire sequence in Buffalo Bill's house after a 22 hour day because Demi wanted him. I, Demi wanted Jodie Foster to seem completely so, Hunter, fried. Did they shoot it in pitch black? Yes. Okay, good. Because well, before, but before the actual blackness, the set is incredibly oh yeah, so cool. made. Well, it's so good. I mean, it is one of those things like the production design is so cool, especially with everything that Buffalo Bill has, because this was a different person's house that he moved into. So not yeah, only is there like right. the weird shit that Buffalo Bill has, but there's also just like stacks of papers and files from this old seamstress's house that he just like murdered and, and took he does over. a creepily good job at answering the door for her. You, he's like convincing that yeah. it's just a normal dude. And you're like, oh, my God, is she actually going to fall for this shit? And then, of course, she doesn't. And then yada, yada, yada. And then she's underground. Yeah, I going to that pitch black scene, though, like that is it's incredible. It's so it's still one of like the scariest sequences. Yeah, it I've still ever gets seen. your heart because racing. Even you, can, if you, know. you can tell that they're shooting in pitch black because Joey Foster is just like blindly putting out yeah. her hands. Like you can't. Yeah, you can't see that. And anything. her eyes are so, so wide big. Yeah, like it's like the biggest eyes I've seen in my whole life. It's some so incredible good. eyes. We we skipped right past it. But the the Hopkins, the Hopkins mask that he has while he's talking with the sender is with like an iconic mask thing to his face but also like his piercing blue eyes and how yeah. they're like darting around like looking at everybody as they're talking or moving mm -hmm. and stuff both foster and hopkins have incredible yeah eyes. so so, so she gets him you know she shoots him and immediately the light illuminates the room because she also shoots a window which is lovely but the, the whole sequence while he's trying to grab her and touch her and yeah, he's he just fucking with her doesn't actually do it mm -hmm. but you see his point of view and you, you know we see that she feels it but like he's not touching yeah, she her. Can, like so feel creepy. his breath Ugh. 
and like his warmth. God, that's this whole movie. It's like you never see anything quite like that. And you're never unnerved to the degree that you are in sequences like this. And the fact that it gets for me, I just keep thinking like. How did this fucking win Best Picture? This movie is <laughs> fucked up. It is. It's so fucked up. Like, it's just how? Be- I think in part it's because it is a really, like, it's undeniably great, even if it's not Oscar y, and it captivated the nation. Yeah. Like, it really did, like, win normal people over in a way that, like, great movies usually don't. But it's, but- it's so fucked up. Like, <laughs> yeah. how did it even I do mean, that? That's the thing. I, I, we, I do kind of want. So, do you guys consider this a horror movie or a psychological thriller? It's. A, I mean, it is a psychological it's hor- thriller, but it's horrifying. Yeah, it's also. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. That's kind of where I come <laughs> down on movie. it. Is that it's like it's a thriller with horror elements, but like who the fuck cares? Like, if you can't watch this movie because it's too scary for you, I understand. That I mean, because there when, are really, and especially like, I mean, there are like some good symbolism that i talked about earlier about like the feminism of this film but also uh if you are just a woman who's terrified of being kidnapped by men and raped and stuff like that right this movie is very horrifying and it won't put you at ease in that how is this not a thing in 1991 how do you not know to not get in the fucking van don't get in the van so i but i mean that is still a thing like this person is just like a good person so i mean like i like i uh, there was a person on my street who was like disabled um who fell down and i like helped him inside of his house and stuff like that and i did have like just this little <laughs> this little imprint in my brain that like movies like silence you, the Lambs have like broke my brain that make me think that every person is a serial killer in reality i was just helping this man who needed yeah. help inside of his house oh, yeah. but like you can also it kind of like kills the whole idea of being like a good samaritan is films and people like buffalo bill yeah and i mean he literally like that move is just it's bundy's move to have a fake cast and be moving furniture and it did work on a lot of girls like 15 years before that it's just so unsettling yeah it it yeah but it, it, i mean it rocks um but yeah no that said also like like you were talking speaking toward like the understated feminism of the movie it's every you know every group of men that she encounters stares right at her yeah and we are those placed- scenes are great yeah the 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 almost like comically large group of cops yeah. at the funeral oh, home they're just packing the room together so that's another another scene that is very very short and very understated that i really love is whenever they are on the car back from the funeral home and uh he's just like oh yeah uh sorry about that back there i just had to you know get some information from him and Joey Foster is like, you can't do that. People look up to you. You cannot degrade me as a woman be- just because I am a woman here with you in order for you to get more information. It's a power move. Yeah, yeah. But it's also it's not said so explicitly like that. Yes. That, no, no, like, no, 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 no. It's not. It's it's much more understated. Yeah. And, well he, and, and, and he also doesn't fight back. He's like, point taken. Yeah. And that's the end of the scene. <laughs> like that. Rock. Scott Glenn, dude. Yeah. Very good. He's great. Um, no Gene Hackman. But yeah, she yeah. and also I I um obviously we could have, you know, Casey Lemons isn't like all over this movie as the token black friend. Um but I, I'm glad that wasn't a whole thing. Yeah, it could have so been a lot I. more egregious. It was a little tough to see it at the end, like like uh I guess like the one person of color other than like the helper at yeah. the psychiatric hospital. That is a little tough. Hey, well, shout, first of all, shouts out to Casey because she directed Harriet last year. 
That's yeah. cool. Really? Yeah. Yep. And oh, co-wrote nice. it. Um, but also, I I like her character as uh, you know, as far as these characters go, which are always you know kind of thrown to the side. Uh, I like that she, you know, she finds out the news and she like her sprinting yes. full speed yeah. uh, to the phone to Jodie Foster. And, and just kind of being that like feminine support yeah. to the one FBI, yeah. female FBI yeah. agent. Well, and then another move that the script does very correctly is when they're hanging out after the fact and Jodie Foster's like, no, he's uh, like the worry isn't that he's going to come and get me. He's not going to come and get me mm. like because, you know, Anthony Hopkins got away like. That that to me is another thing that a lot of scripts would get wrong where they'd be like, she's living in fear until he calls or whatever. No, she knows. She knows that he wouldn't do that because yeah. it doesn't fit with. And his it profile. sets up the very end of the movie when yeah. he calls her when. Yeah, he's like, uh, I, uh, I would. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you got it. I don't plan on seeking you out, starting. <laughs> I find the world a lot more interesting with you in it. Yes. I hope you'll afford me the same courtesy. <laughs> He's a little bit more whispered you know, than that. You know, Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. I'm going to have to come after you, Dr. Lecter. You know, I can't promise that, Dr. Lecter. I can't promise you that, Dr. Lecter. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that I mean, that that all rules. Like, it's, it's, it's just like that's like top of intelligence writing as like bad screenwriting books put it, because it's it's something it would be lower IQ to make her live in fear when everything leading yeah. up to this points out that he wouldn't want to kill but, her. To the point I made at the very beginning of the pod about how this movie goes out of its way to make Clarice the most competent person in the whole movie. Yeah, she rocks. You are in this Buffalo Bill basement thinking you're stupid. You're stupid. Why would you do this? Why would you go in by yourself? You didn't tell anyone you're here. You're going to fucking die. But the movie tells you like, hey, you've seen what she can do. She jacked up a... a a storage unit mm -hmm. uh, door yeah, and then just, by herself. And then slid under it as if there's no chance it would, like the Jack would fail you, and she'd die. She's a strong girl. So you know <laughs> she's going to be able to do it. And it, it makes this statement as to like, she shot this motherfucker on her own. And like you said earlier, Hunter, like I think another movie would fucking derail itself trying to make that point another thing that but other, this one doesn't yeah another thing that other movies fuck up that's even more egregious than the uh jodie foster scott glenn relationship is that being a romantic relationship is other movies uh sequels and i believe even some of the books uh, put the Jodie Foster and the Anthony Hopkins in a little bit of a romantic kind of a relationship, which is just so deeply fucked up and wrong oh, and ruins everything gross. about yeah. this, because the whole thing is that they have it's this kind of almost like this very strange mutual respect that they have for each other. Respect is the wrong word, but kind of. I'm, I'm struggling to find the right word because it's not even quite admiring, but it's acknowledging both of their crafts and their geniuses like Jodie Foster is never going to be condescending towards Anthony Hopkins because she knows that he is smarter than that. Like he deserves more than that. And it's the same thing with after that first time that they meet and um, my guy uh, Miggs throws semen on. Yeah. Now you're cunt from here. He 
he like has this not well, like that, okay that she is was, smarter and she deserves better hold on <laughs> wait that wait, was an that anthony, was hopkins, anthony hopkins no Do he says make... he says he's a i cannot he smell says, your <laughs> what did mick say to you <laughs> well dr lecter he hmm? said he said that he could smell my cunt <laughs> hmm I, in fact, cannot smell your cunt. <laughs> I wish, Starling. <laughs> no, Mix is more like, I can smell your cunt from here. There you go. That guy's, that guy's going nuts. Yo, shout out to Migs. He's going wild. <laughs> Unsung hero, who Anthony Hopkins made him bite his own fucking tongue off. And swallow it. As die. just... Uh, just which, by, like, whispering to him for, like, eight hours. Or yeah, which is just, like, <laughs> a real baller move by Hannibal there. Yeah. Cool stuff. Cool. Uh, I think I think it was good. Good the movie. movie. Um, cool movie. I think it's sell. It's like struggling to make my top twenty-five. But. So yeah, I'd watch that on Netflix if you're already done with the Zac Efron series. <laughs> yeah, first finish all ten episodes of Down to Earth with Zac Efron. Yeah, and then I'd give this a go. Um, yeah, I think that there might you know we could have sequels in the mix. You yeah, know? yeah. Hey. Uh, there's that uh, Mads Mikkelsen show, which was supposed to tie into this. Hey, at evidently, some point. a very good show. Yeah, yeah, I have heard there is a very Silence watched, of the Lambs. I watched a little bit of it. There, apparently, especially for the fact, much like Community, the fact that it was on a major network makes it even better because you're like, wow, they really did a lot of stuff Man. you're not supposed to. Do I mean, on a major it's network. it's a similar dynamic of you know Hannibal with the FBI agent, sort of like yeah, but it's more obviously well, more precise. And also, done. from what I've heard, it. They do. Mads does go out of his way to make sure that he is not doing an Anthony Hopkins mm-hmm. impersonation. Well, it's it's before the events of Silence. No, of the but Lambs. it goes through Silence to post Silence of yeah. the Lambs. Yeah, because this is, is a series it, of novels we're talking about. Yeah, he's playing it very different from Anthony Hopkins, which is good. That could go wrong with a lot of other people playing this character. Did you guys know that in the 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 movie that's just called Hannibal, they replaced. Jodie Foster with Julianne Moore. Yes. How do we feel about that? Doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. Pretty much any time that you go through and you talk about uh, like replacing anybody in this movie with somebody else, it just kind of falls apart a little bit. Also, uh, Brian Cox played Hannibal Lecter in Manhunter. Mm -hmm. I talked about earlier. So this movie opened February 15th, 1991. Number one at the box office with $13 million. Um, don't recognize any of the other movies. Uh, it looks like uh, Home Alone know, is still yeah, hanging Home in there. Home Alone and um, Dances with Dances Wolves. with Wolves were still up there. Yeah. Um. So it kind of cleaned up and then kind of raked the field. Um. But it was one of those movies. It was kind of like Get Out, though, where it was a big hit, small. number one. And then it just kind of that word of mouth kept growing around it. It's kind of the thing. This is one of the movies that kind of inspired that. The way that people draw out what a good horror movie can be is that it's like, okay, if we have a good opening box office week one, if we can make 45, 50, 60 million dollars week one, that's perfect for us because then those people will like tell their friends and their family like, yeah, you guys should see this movie. It's really good. And then it has a slower drop off than most other big budget movies. It's crazy that 1991, no Internet, no memes, no Twitter. You don't have any any gifs Man, being shared. Man, the Twitter memes for this movie yeah. would have been fucking incredible. I ate his liver with some fava beans and some nice shanti. Uh, and a nice Tide Pod. <laughs> <laughs> 
tweeted by the official Silence of the Lambs Twitter uh, account. Uh, no wonder Hannibal ate everybody because everybody is cake. Yeah. <laughs> That's epic. That's uh, fucking epic. Cool. Yeah, it's very I did. Cool. I did like on the crate <laughs> how it included cool. the special feature of the browser's porn page. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> let's dig into this. So, so the official Criterion to- collection. Yeah, I told Ernest about this. <laughs> apparently, has a porno. Yeah, it, there's a, a browser's parody. Oh yeah, <laughs> she have a great big old fat pussy. <laughs> yeah, that's Peter North playing that character. You have she Lisa puts- Ann playing uh, Jodie Foster's character, which I think is just poor casting. You Doc- gotta, gotta Doctor go Lecter, Doctor Lecter, I'm stuck in the dryer. Mm-hmm. Doctor Lecter puts the lotion on the skin. I'm eating an old friend's ass for dinner. <laughs> Starling. Oh man, I want to see this now. God, <laughs> let's damn. film it, <laughs> oh, Brian. You're funding this. Had a good, had a had a real fun like two and a half hours last night, really fleshing out this this bit, <laughs> fleshing like cutting off the flesh, yes, into the shape of a moth wing, and really mm-hmm. like sewing it up. Do we think Scott Glenn is sad that uh, he's the one major character from this movie that people don't do an impersonation of? Yeah, that's a good point. I can't do a Scott Glenn impersonation. No, he's just like a guy in this movie. Yeah. You, you gotta you gotta be silly. What did we think about that moment when she does shoot Buffalo Bill? That little click of the gun and the, oh, slow the slow-mo turnaround. Yeah. I love it. It's good shit. Mm, good it's shit. the only time that's another thing that I was going to bring up about Demi earlier is that so many filmmakers uh, that we consider like auteurs and stuff like that use what can be good but what can also be kind of corny or bad what i'll say is athletic filmmaking and there's nothing really athletic about anything I mean, when you that jonathan have, demi does when you have a locked off heavy extreme close-ups it's tough to call that athletic like it's yeah. just so even like stylized like this movie isn't overly stylized in any kind of like a profound way i mean really that kind of super close-ups the only other director that's done anything close to that that's kind of used those ultra close-ups to evoke emotion that i can think of is barry jenkins yes with things like moonlight and especially with if beale street can talk but they're not full of dread no 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 he uses them to evoke different types of emotions because that's you can use more filmmakers should take some pages out of the Demi playbook. And I mean, it requires having really excellent actors in yes. order to do that. You got to put all your faith. But yeah. In, especially but. because another part of this is uh, having characters speak directly into camera. If they're speaking to Jodie Foster, which is tough, which is harder than speaking to a human being. If you're an actor, you know, mm. last couple thoughts here. So like we said earlier, this movie uh, beat, for the Oscars, it beat JFK, it beat the no, Prince of Tides, no. it beat something called Bugsby. <laughs> any any fans of Bugsby out um, there? Who who star? Was that a uh, who's the star of Bugsby? I actually, Warren Beatty. Uh, Warren Beatty. That's why it was a Beatty film. And the big one though, the fifth Beauty one, and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast the nominated for Best Picture that year. Animated movie. Uh, yeah, but I think it was. I think it was between this and JFK. Yeah. Um, Beauty and the Beast. It was like it's a good for you that you're here. No, I'm telling you, Prince of Tides like had like a, a lot, lot of pull. of pull at that time. Like people were like, this is Barbara Streisand's time. Like she is like established herself as this director. Well, I think. 
I mean, obviously this is retrospective, but I feel like people could genuinely tell that this movie marked a shift in the genre. It's it's like a midnight cowboy almost. Yeah, yeah. it just it like yeah. it marked something important. And I think in the moment, there's a good chance you could tell just because they were like, oh, this is all stuff that like. It's crazy that this hasn't been done like a million times. Which is, it's too soon to say, but I think Parasite is another one of these like seismic. Oh, you think the Academy Awards are ever happening again? Oh, that's what I'm doing my watch throughs because the Academy (laughs) Awards are done. Parasite was the last winner. What a great one to go out on. We'll see because Trolls World Tour is going to win this year and then the Academy will set itself on fire and movies will never exist anymore. All I'm saying is the Artemis Fowl campaign starts right now. Colin Farrell, Zaddy. If you want to stand on Artemis, <laughs> Artemis Island, then I'll Artemis Fowl, Artemis Fowl Island. I'll be on Trolls, Trolls uh, Peninsula. And I'm I'm just gonna leave the listeners off on this this little note here. I love this movie. I think it's phenomenal, fantastic. We've sung its praises, but me personally, just Ernest over here, <laughs> my best picture for 1991. Is Terminator 2 Judgment Day? Mm. That's just me. No love from the Academy, but it was never going to get it because nobody appreciates James Cameron enough. Look, I. Yeah, you're right. He doesn't have enough money. Yes, T2 is is a very cute action film, but if I'm looking for (laughs) if I'm looking for cinema. okay. well, now you're both wrong. Now you're both just yeah yeah. So let's let's look at 1991 you're over here real on quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, Drew, like, Drew's on, more of a Point Break kind of guy. Hey. Yo, don't talk shit about Point Break. Point Break is a classic. 91 was rough, guys. I'm scrolling and I'm struggling to find anything of note. Any uh, any The Doors fans out there? The Rocketeer touch. Cape hey, Fear. The Rocketeer. Hey, Cape Fear. Hey, you know. Cape Fear is cool. Uh, Backdraft. Fri- you have fried green tomatoes. Do actually, Boys in the Hood actually uh, got some love. I knew it was um, uh, who was the uh, director for Boys in the Hood? I think guy guy who died recently. wasn't it Ernest Dickerson? Yes, yeah, he was nominated for best director, which was like the fact that Boys in the Hood, oh no John Singleton John yeah. Singleton that's who it was rest in peace yeah um the fact that Boys in the Hood was like nominated for Academy Awards is pretty incredible. Like, th- th- like that is so not what you expect of whenever you think of a um, great job. Academy Award. Hook. It's your boy. Kevin Costner, Robin Hood. Ugh. All right. Well, see all you, I'm saying next year <laughs> is Terminator 2. What about Bob? So, um, hey, it looks like there's something called The Doctor starring William Hurt. Man, 1991 just had all the hits. Adam's is this, family. Is this what we're talking about next week? We're talking about The Doctor. The Rewatchables, 1991. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was really hot so, in this movie. <laughs> we will let you know what we're talking about next week, uh, folks. I know that Hunter is in the midst of a little bit of uh, Forrest Gump, Schindler's List type territory. So... We're not quite sure we're ready to follow him on that route. <laughs> um, you guys don't want to go into like the three and a half hour epic that is Schindler's List. Maybe. It is maybe. a perfect film, but uh, Forrest Gump, I'd be interested for you guys to rewatch and ask you guys, like, is Forrest Gump a good movie? It's a very watchable movie. There's really good aspects of it, but I did like I really enjoyed myself while watching it. But there's certain things while watching Forrest Gump that I was like, 
does this movie fucking suck? Like, no, what is this? It, it doesn't suck. It's just stupid. It's really stupid. It yeah. is about a it stupid is, man. Yeah, it is kind of. It's just like a. It's like it's a quintessentially like early mid nineties movie yeah. because it represents this form of like innocence Look, and optimism that they had still. Yeah, I don't want to be known as like a Forrest Gump hater because I know like Forrest Gump Twitter will come after us. <laughs> do that, does, does Forrest Gump fit into my American propaganda letterbox? Yeah. Are you uh, kidding? Thousand percent, like so goddamn much. So here's, here's that a, is the most American propaganda movie for good and bad, but mostly just good. Like, yeah, it's the look, story anybody. of um, also, America. Um, um, Forrest Gump is just not as good if you've seen Being There by Hal Ashby because you realize that yeah, Robert Zemeckis is yeah. just like, let me make Being There, but it has to have like this heart of emotional core yeah, it has to, to it to all. Tie and it's worse and it's the worst aspects of current the events. Yeah. Just watch Being There. Being There is a fucking masterpiece. One of the best movies ever made. Well, we'll leave you with that, folks. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Follow us at We Bought a Mic. Let us know what you thought of The Silence of the Lambs. Uh, check it out. And uh, He puts the podcast on repeat. He does this when it's told. Check out our uh, catch-up episode Girl. and check us out next week with whatever we have coming at you. Yeah, we, we bought a mic. Wasn't that a great big long podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.